The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the Plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Hello, welcome back to the Women's Sanctuary. I am thrilled to have you here today. Um, it's just me today, no guest, because I would like to share my personal story. <laughs> what did I? What did they say in church? My testimony with you today, um, and that's your first clue about my history. <laughs> I will also say that this uh, this episode would not be suitable for children at all. Here I am on a podcast, Leading the Women's Sanctuary, you know, with uh, themes of sisterhood and and women in revolution and women serving the world with their spiritual gifts. And I am thrilled. This is my heart's desire. This is This makes my heart sing. I love doing this. And I am every day so grateful that I have made it to this part of my life, um, doing something I, I love, because I very easily could have been someone, um, and was for years, comfortable and miserable. Oh, and I just, I thank heaven every day that that I I woke up. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian household, and my mother, in the few months before she passed, would reminisce and say, you were the happiest baby. You would always just always just run up to me and throw your arms around me and say, I love you, mommy, which is a really sweet memory. And I was like, that's me? <laughs> is that me? Um, because I, I feel that way, but I don't think anybody would describe me that way. Um, I'm a Capricorn with a Leo rising and a, and a Libra moon. So, you know, I definitely have that effusive side to me, but I think most people would say I'm kind of a a downer. I mean, I don't want to be. I don't mean to be, but, you know, I always think about David Sedaris who says, you know, I just decided to own my complaining. That's who I am. But anyway, my, my parents were, goodness, you know, the typical they weren't June and Ward Cleaver, but they were definitely that era of till death do us part if it kills us. 
they weren't very happy. My dad was um, not a well-behaved man. Um, he was not very faithful or interested in being faithful to his family. And my mother was doing whatever it took to keep the home and the family together. And so that meant keeping the peace and being the buffer no matter what, regardless of what she wanted or regardless of what her desires were. She was a valedictorian and had a very promising future, but as many women in the 50s, she gave all that up to get married and have children. And growing up in the church did not make a lot of sense to me. I did not understand what the hell was going on with with the you know with the whole belief system it did not make sense to me and i was actually a very studious young person i would take notes in church and and do bible studies and i was all in it i was a spiritual seeker i was there i was there every time the doors were open well i had to be <laughs> but i was i was studying and i was reading the bible and I was, you know, I was committed, and I was baptized at eight, but something just always felt off. I remember when it did feel good, it was when the they were talking and preaching about love and forgiveness and eternal life, but then the parts about damnation and judgment and retribution and punishment just didn't make any sense. Like, how come we're set up to fail and we have to work so hard to have it good? That, that made no sense to me. On top of it all, in my mid-20s, um, gosh, maybe I was in my 30s, I realized that I had such a fucked up relationship with my own father that how could I conceive of a male father figure God who was... um perfect, loving. Like, how did I hold all those dichotomies of love and forgiveness and safety with the judgment and retribution and then the flawed human who raised me? None of that made sense to me. So I began to suspect in my 20s and 30s that I, I wasn't getting it right. You know, like I didn't have the intimacy that one is supposed to have in a in a personal relationship with Jesus, and I didn't have the trust in a father figure God because I didn't trust my own father. I didn't even really trust my mother. I trusted her to take care of me. I trusted them to meet my physical needs, and I'm grateful that I never feared for my physical safety, but emotionally and spiritually, it wasn't a safe place. So. So I I say I towed the party line. I, see if this sounds familiar. I got married at 19. My husband and I finished college together. And then I, I had a baby. Of course I did. <laughs> and I, I was absolutely thrilled and completely in love and still am in love with my first child and both my children. And motherhood came easily to me. What didn't come so easy was 
was the housewife, the home life, the the PTA mom, the soccer mom, none of that spoke to me. And so when when we got more established and bought a house and moved into a neighborhood, I was thrilled to have my own home, but the life that came with it held nothing for me. I felt stifled, sad, depressed, meaning I began to understand that whoever I really was, and I had no idea, was completely subsumed in all the things that I should be doing. All the things that I was being told I needed to do. I needed to have a job. I needed to go to PTA meetings. I needed to go to soccer games. I needed to do the grocery shopping, all the meal planning, all the cleaning, and follow a budget. You know, typical family life. But if there is no joy in your soul, they just become empty tasks. While I had a a stable, loving relationship and was completely in love with my children, I was not happy. My soul was just crying on the inside all the time, and I kept ignoring it. I remember on my our 10th anniversary, my husband and I took a little trip for the anniversary, and um, he didn't give me a card. I mean, not the worst thing in the world, but it really hurt my feelings. And it was indicative of how how lonely and abandoned I felt on the inside, which, to be clear, was not his responsibility. But I didn't know any better. I didn't know any differently than to say, you must make me happy, and you're not doing the things that make me happy. First of all, I didn't even know how to articulate that. Secondly, if I had, I still was putting the onus on someone else to make me happy. None of that was clear to me. And so I didn't know how to take responsibility for my emotions. I didn't know how to take responsibility for myself. Um, but I also didn't know how to say, raise my hand and say, excuse me, I'm not happy and I need to do something about it. And oh, you know, our relationship is part of the issue. I mean, I, I had no vocabulary, no training in any of that. And I'm so grateful today that, well, first of all, that I have that now, but that a lot of the young people are so much smarter than I was, so much more savvy, have had so much more experience in, you know, self-containment, self-control, self-awareness, and making themselves happy. That was the first time I began to consider that maybe I wasn't with the right person, and that I didn't know exactly who I was, and I wasn't even sure how to get my needs met. I began to have this inkling that maybe I wasn't in the right life. And that's a very weird feeling to look around and see that you have everything you need. 
You have many of the things you want. You have love, you have safety, you have security, you have all sorts of good things, and you're not happy. I was just devastated. Like, how can I not be happy? I've done all the right things. I've done everything they told me to, and I'm still miserable. So I doubled down on my spiritual life. I began reading more, been doing whatever internal work I could imagine to, to do for myself. Um, I began reading psychology books. My, my bachelor's is in psychology. So I began reading more about psychology and about wounded women. And I started looking into my relationships with my parents to mine them for the issues that were coming up for me, the things I knew that I could, quote, fix. And I made some progress. What I didn't anticipate was my parents divorcing after 40 plus years of marriage. It is the weirdest thing to cheer on your mother in a divorce. But we cheered her on because we knew she'd been unhappy for so long and neither one of them had done anything about it. And suddenly she was doing it. What I didn't expect was how it impacted me. I had an immense amount of grief for not their relationship because I always knew that was messed up, but for my childhood, for having a stable parental unit (laughs) in my life. And I was 35. So totally, you know, self-sufficient, but it still rocked me. It really rocked me. And I went into a year of grief and self-questioning. And what I understand now is that when they divorced, they broke the story. They broke the story I was supposed to live by. The rules they had given me, they just broke them till death do us part, eh, you know, if you get unhappy enough, we'll break them. It felt like somebody broke me out of prison to this story I was supposed to live by, and I had the chance to reconsider. And when I gave myself permission to stop and think about who I am and what I want, there was no looking back. I became, oh, as one of my friends called me, a runaway freight train. My soul had been so damned up, so depressed, repressed, pushed down, that I didn't know who I was. And when I gave myself permission to look at who I was, my life didn't fit. And, then, and there was no turning back. Suddenly, I was craving attention, love, sex, worship, adoring, conversation. So many things that I had been starving for but was not willing to acknowledge to myself or anyone else. 
the blinders fell off, and I saw how dependent I had become on the system I had built. And it was a comfortable prison for me. I didn't have clipped wings. I wasn't even sure I had wings. And so the more I felt into who I was, the more I I noticed I needed all of these things. And I was starving. And when people are hungry, literally or figuratively, they're both difficult conditions. You see this drive take over them, and they may lose their good judgment, their discernment. I definitely did. And my marriage imploded. The constricted life I had built for myself, this formula, it was all of my own making but I refused to see the signs. My life had been leaking out the sides of the container, and now I'd taken the lid off. There was no, there was no turning back. And what happens when you get that hungry and you have no context to, no container for your own beingness, no way to guide yourself with wisdom because you've never experienced it before and no one's ever taught you how to do it, when you are that innocent, and I mean that in the way of um, unlearned, unguided, ignorant of how to care for yourself in those times, It gets really ugly. I remember um, when I was single and dating, and I was on um, dating websites, I would naturally attract men who were cheating on their wives. They were on the dating sites looking for other women. And they would somehow just pop up in my in my messages and say, you know, this is what I'm doing and I don't feel good about it, but I really do want to live this life of freedom and I don't know how to make it happen. And it's because they're so scared. It's terrifying to have built an entire life in one belief system and then to dismantle it and start a new life you have no guarantee is a good idea or a good fit but you just know you need to do something different and so I would counsel them about you know if this is really the life you want to live then you have to be honest about it you have to have the courage to be honest and raise your hand and say to your partner you know, we have a problem, I want something different, and I need to be be free to go find that. And I can only give that counsel because, in hindsight, that's what I was not able to do for myself. I had no understanding of it. Even, I didn't even really 
have an understanding of how to get counseling for my existing relationship because I had no faith that it was redeemable. And it might have been, who knows? But I was so far gone by the time I knew what I was doing and by the time anybody else realized it that there was no hope for me going back to a, to that to that relationship you know my marriage fell apart the family life fell apart and it was very sad on one level you know it was really difficult on everybody and there was a part of me that was felt like i'd been set free from prison it doesn't matter how beautiful the life looks on the surface. If it's not your life, it's a prison. I had never been taught that I could have a life I wanted. It didn't even occur to me. What do I want? And I can go get it. <laughs> that was such a radical notion to me. And I was full of fear. So I began the only way I knew how, and that was to be secretive about it, to live a double life, really, of going out, meeting people, having relationships, and um, and then going home and feeding my children dinner. And of course, that is not sustainable. I mean, it, it's living that much out of integrity with my own being was not sustainable and obviously not fair to the people around me, my children and my husband. So that didn't last long. And when called on it, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm not happy. And so I left. Those who betray others and betray themselves first and then others. First of all, they're doing so pretty unconsciously. It's rare that they're conscious of what they're doing or able to stop themselves. It is due to a faulty belief a belief that this is the only way to meet my needs, whether it be stealing a loaf of bread or having a relationship on the side. They have a need that needs to be met, and they see they don't see any other option. They have a belief that they have no other options, and that is a lie of the ego. That's the delusion of survival. That's the ego's drive of self-absorption. See, when the ego is in charge, the ends justify the means. One will do whatever is necessary to get its your own way. So this is a sure sign of denying your own soul. See, your spirit is really strong and will win out in the end to get what you want. And so the question becomes, how do you get that? So in my case, I was 
insisting on continuing to live the life I had led, and yet my spirit was leading me to feed myself and correct that path, I just bifurcated myself. I just started living a double life. And as I said, it wasn't sustainable, but it's also really harmful to your own self-integrity. In the absence of the courage to follow your soul's imperatives, the ego will take over and create change in unhealthy ways while still trying to advance the desires of the spirit. Once I left, then the task became, how do I continue to figure out who I am and change change my life and still parent my children and move through this separation and divorce? And I wasn't even clear at the time that it was divorce. I just knew that I was confused and I needed time to figure it out. How do I move through that process? It was overwhelming and painful. And I realized later that it didn't have to be that way. It doesn't ever have to be that painful. But, you know, we do it to ourselves and <laughs> we, we learn what the lessons we need to learn in the process, right? About that time, I found a really good therapist. Let me tell you, that was a new idea to me, but it it saved my life. It literally saved my life. And through that process, I came to two realizations. One, I would wake up in the morning and ask myself, if I could go back now, would I? And the answer was inside was always no. And the second realization was, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I did not want my children, my girls, seeing the type of woman I was as a role model. The woman who sacrificed anything she wanted in her entire life for the family. It, it was what my mom had done. And... That type of martyrdom may have been acceptable under patriarchy, but no more. I wanted my girls to see a strong, happy woman who was living according to her own heart. So as messy as it was, I also knew that I wanted to become a role model that I could be proud of for my girls. And... 15, 16, 17 years later, I feel like I've reached that. Not long after my divorce, I found several books. One was um, right after my divorce, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert came out, and that was very encouraging. And then I discovered Women Who Run With the Wolves by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. That was a lifesaver. 
her use of fable and fairy tale to illuminate the soul life of women saved my life. It taught me about the depths of my own being, how to navigate it, how to find out who I really was, how to honor that, and then how to walk with integrity, in honesty, in beauty, in alignment with who I really am. I engaged in a rebellion to reclaim my life, and it wasn't pretty. It was the one way I knew how to free myself. And in that way, it was a holy rebellion to save myself. And it doesn't always look that way. It doesn't look one way. or It looks a multitude of ways. For me, you know, it was upending the social norms of owning a house and the kids and the husband and affluence. It is also stepping outside the ideas of right or wrong for any aspect of life. None of those things was wrong to be or have, but the combination for me in my life at that time was lethal to my soul. It can look a million different ways, but the holy rebellion is standing up and saying, whatever I've been doing that is not in alignment with my soul, I'm going to stop and recreate a life that is honest and true for me. You may have a rich and full life of many beautiful things, but that still small voice is calling you somewhere else. And I learned how to listen to that still small voice. I knew in my soul that I had to go through that process of getting a lot of attention from the outside, multiple relationships, you know, a lot of dating. At one point, it would have been like a different guy every night. And I also knew that was very short-lived, and it was. It helped me reestablish my ego, to build up my ego back to something where I felt like I had value. And then I really dived into the inner work. Um, And that's when I began the shamanic work with my teacher. And there again, that was a lifesaver. It gave me the tools to rebuild my inner world, to discover who I actually was and what was important to me. From there, it hasn't always been easy, and it's been messy at times, but it has been healing and liberating and joy upon joy upon joy of discovering the things that that make me happy and living them and giving myself permission to live that way and to learn how to stand in my own sovereignty, my own agency, and create my life. 
And so that's why my work now is in helping women navigate those tough places. And hopefully it doesn't have to be as messy as mine, but it might be. It really, it's about honoring wherever you are and whatever your process is and finding a way to get really clear, really honest with yourself and then having the courage to be honest with others and say, this is who I am and I'm going to live it. I mean, that's what can be more joyful than that is to live true to yourself. You know, I was raised in such a tight, tightly bound patriarchal model. And a lot of women have let that go, but there are still some who are bound in a patriarchal model that doesn't serve them. And those are the women I serve because I've been there. I know what it's like to live that and to be able to find maybe some joy in it and maybe be very comfortable and to be miserable and to have to find a way to break out. It sounds harsh to call it a prison, but it definitely was for my soul. The result of setting myself free was creating a role model for my girls of a woman who is strong, free, and happy. And as I moved into my calling in the world, I went back to school, got a master's degree, and from there moved into working with women and holding sacred practice, sacred circle for women in women's temples. And my heart has soared, just feeling like I can make a difference in other people's lives and feel the sisterhood and communion that I need and that feeds my soul. I pray my story has been of some use to you. It's been helpful in understanding your own journey or the journey of other people you know. And I pray that if I can be of any service to you, you will reach out and let me support you in any transition in your life. All our transitions are revolutions. And right now in particular is such a big revolution globally and culturally beyond what we can even comprehend. And so now is the time for us to support each other, to love each other, to hold space for each other without judgment because we don't. We don't fully understand what that person's journey is. And they may look like they have life altogether And that may be far from the truth. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm grateful that you are here. I'm grateful for the Women's Sanctuary. I am grateful for all the women who are part of the sanctuary and their their gifts, their talents, their contributions. Thank you for joining me. um, And I will see you here again next time on the Women's Sanctuary.
since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.